I think the uh, general message is like run, you know, and then rank, <laughs> and then then and then and your your voice will be heard. I'm really excited because we have a guest with us. Rob Ritchie is the president and CEO of Fair Vote. And Don has invited uh, him with us today to talk about rank choice voting. So I'm really excited to kind of hear from a third voice today. And of course, as always, to talk with my regular co-host, Don Spun. Don, hi. Hi, Katie. Hi, hi, Robert. Hi, everyone, audience. I'm happy to coming back and talk to you. <laughs> Rob, welcome. Thanks for joining us this week. Thank you. Terrific to be on. Um, so to get practical matters out of the way and sort of get started, Rob, do you want to introduce yourself to our audience and just tell yourself a little bit about the work that you do with Fair Vote? Sure. Um, I am head of this organization we, that I helped start back in 1992, which it feels increasingly distant in time, but it's been a, a, a really labor of love and a growing, increasingly impactful one, I think, that um, uh, ha has involved lots of changes in cities and states, and we're starting to elevate this, this conversation up into Congress and presidential elections. And it's really been about uh, what does it mean to have a fair election system where we're fair vote? Um, and what does it mean to you know, have every voter in every election be able to make a difference? And, and that, if you apply that standard, our current rules can really fall short in a lot of ways. Um, we are particularly known for this idea of the ranked choice ballot. So we'll get into that today. Um, but we also uh, have been leaders on ideas about trying to get everyone registered to vote, change presidential elections where, everyone, where every vote counts more. Um, and uh, kind of a range of ideas. But I think it's particularly timely um, in the era we live in right now to talk about ranked choice voting and uh, really glad to get into it today. Cool. Um, so just, I know we've talked about this before on the show um, with Don, especially in relationship to the New York City mayoral race, but can you give us kind of an overview of what ranked choice voting is or RCV kind of in layman's terms? Yeah. So one way to start is just to keep in mind what we usually do, right? Which is we have a single choice, right? So you, you vote for one person. And when you are presented with two options, let's say you have a general election, it's a Democrat versus Republican. If you vote for one, you know, you've had a very expressive choice. You voted for one, you didn't vote for the other. And the one with more votes wins. But as soon as you have more than two choices and you're only able to vote for one, you're starting to leave your voice more silent, right? You're not, you're not saying everything you might feel. And actually it can be quite significant because you can have uh, a candidate have the most votes who has like, I don't know, 40%, well under 50%. And the 60% of the rest of the vote is split between two candidates. And in fact, together they're, they're more than the candidate with 40%, but the current system says, oh, the one with 40% wins, the one with the most votes wins. And so our, our, our current system doesn't handle having more than two choices well. And then if you have five choices or 10 choices, you know, it, it's even more so um, as a problem. And the idea of a ranked choice vote is to say, let me do more than just indicate one thing. I actually have opinions about more than one person and the candidates know that too. So they have a reason 
to talk to voters. So what, what you as a voter are doing is saying, who's my first choice? It's the one I like the most, but who's my second choice? Who, who is also a, a pretty good candidate and who's my third choice? And you can stop whenever you want to, whenever you feel indifferent to everybody else. Um, and um, the way the voting, the vote tally works is to um, grounded in the idea that everyone has one vote. So you count your first choices as your vote in the first round. And if someone wins more than half the votes right out of the bat and uh, you know wins more than half the votes in the first round, then they've won. They have more than 50% and that's it. However, if no candidate does have 50%, they're all under that, mark, that, that total, then the candidate which, who was in last place is dropped. And those candidates' ballots are moved to their second choice, to their backup. So that's the, the one that they liked, that they could settle as their next choice. Um, and then you tally the votes, you see if you have a majority winner, and then you rinse and repeat, essentially. You just continue until a candidate surpasses that 50% threshold. When you, uh, it'll always get to a point where one candidate has more than 50%. Um, and one term for it sometimes is an instant runoff because you like a runoff election is where you have a whole separate election, sure. you know, lots of money spent and weeks later, months later, um, and people come back and vote again. Essentially the ranked choice system is, is simulating that without that extra chip to the poll. So one of the reasons we're seeing a lot more use of it around the country is it's just a faster, cheaper, better way of doing a runoff, but more broadly, it's a way to accommodate choice and kind of embrace the idea that we want more candidates to run. We wanna hear from them, but we also want their, the voters who support them to have their voice be truly heard and to get fair outcomes. And Rachel's voting is designed to accomplish those goals. Mm -hmm. Good. I'm also really curious actually about the types of elections in which this would be used. As you pointed out a couple of times, this is really important, especially in elections that have more than just two candidates. Um, so is, is this like primarily the hope that this would be going towards like primary races or like more local government um, types of things where you have several candidates or is kind of the eventual goal that like perhaps we have a multi-party system where there are you know three or five candidates for president instead of just two yeah well I think it it really makes sense frankly um, as a believer in this that it, it for 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 any election where you might have more than two choices and basically that can be any election right so I think if you have a presidential election where Ralph Nader there is running as a Green Party candidate or Ross Perot is running as a as an independent or Joe Jorgensen as a libertarian, you know, these these candidates that are running for president, um, they're already having an impact on elections as they are. In two states, Alaska and Maine, now use ranked choice voting for presidential elections in November. So that's already happened. And Maine used it last year uh, and state of Alaska will use it in, in, in 2024. Um, five of the Democratic primaries um, and caucuses in 2020 used ranked choice voting. Um, and that was because you know, it was a very big field um, and um, it really made a lot of sense to people, particularly in some of the dynamics that, that, that happened in, in those contests where candidates start dropping out and your first choice might not even be in the race anymore by the time your ballot is counted. So having a backup made particular sense and we see a lot of chances to grow it in, 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 in presidential primaries, other primaries, but general elections, I think increasingly make sense um, whenever we cross into that threshold of having a third party or an independent candidate. And that actually happens a lot. Um, so I think that we'll, we'll see 
as we socialize and normalize ranked choice voting, essentially it makes sense for everything. It, having more than a single choice is better whenever we're voting. And I think that's where we're gonna get to that ranked choice voting is, is just almost well, equal voting. Good, uh, Robert, can I ask your, uh, in your life experience or ranked choice of voting system, in terms of the Oakland or San Francisco, is, uh, uh, have you involved any, any surprising or dramatic change to the voters or to the political system? What's your experience for this uh, particular two ranked choice of voting system? Yeah, it's been exciting. Um, I'll say just as a back, sort of a, a, a background to the issue is it's used quite a lot around the world. Um, you know, presidential elections in Ireland and mayoral elections in London and you know Australia's all of its elections and and so on. Um, in the United States, we had a problem because our voting equipment when we when you vote on on like some of the older voting equipment, it wasn't easy to, to, to absorb this ranked choice information and, and, and use it. So it really shut off the conversation. So in the modern era, ranked choice voting really took off with a first win in San Francisco. So San Francisco was the first place to pass it in 2002, started using it in 2004. And actually every year but one since then has had a ranked choice voting election um, across the Bay in California, Oakland uh, has used ranked choice voting since 2010. Um, and it really started to grow. It's in the last few years in a particular, six more cities adopted it last year. So to Alaska, we're up to about 25 cities. But the longest standing use is in the Bay Area or in, 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 in San Francisco. And those are really interesting cities as far as diversity and diversity, you know, within the diversity, right? So it's not just, uh, you know, black, white, it's not just black, white, Latino, it's black, white, Asian American, but Latino is also Mexican American or, or Salvadoran. And, 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 and this is where ranked choice voting really begins to kind of sing as a system almost because it's allowed, allowing every community that sort of wants political expression through a candidate to find a candidate to, 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 to run. Um, and to win, it becomes really an exercise in coalition building in a sense, right? You, you are, you rarely in a, in a, you know, open seat race in mayor, uh, uh, in open seat election for mayor in um, San Francisco and Oakland, you know, candidates do not win more than half of first choices. You, you know, you're going to need ranked choice voting. And so, you know, you, you have, you start with your base of first choices and you can't win without being a good first choice candidate, but you also know, Hey, I have to be a second choice of people, of backers of other candidates. I have to know what they think, what they, what they support. I have to find connections with people. And then you add in that having racial and ethnic dimensions, you have to, you know, think about other groups and so on. So Oakland's first election for mayor in 2010 was fascinating because a, a, a Chinese American woman named Jean Kwan was running for president. Um, uh, a large mayor. city, or for mayor, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> uh, so, making sure. Yeah, um, uh, and um, she, uh, there, there, there had never been a uh, Chinese American uh, uh, candidate who, uh, woman who, who, who was mayor of a, a major city. Um, and, and she was heavily outspent by um, an older white politician who had about four to five times as much resources to spend either directly or through his proxies. Uh, former Senate Majority Leader was the favored candidate, but ultimately ended up with 33% of first choices, right? So had the most first choices, but well short of 50%. Um, 
Uh, Quan was back at 24%, so she was nine points behind. Then there was another candidate with something like 22, and then it went on down from there. Um, and the Quan campaign had been all built around coalition building, right? About like, reaching out to different communities. She, she was a much more active candidate, went to far more neighborhood meetings than the front runner who spent more money, but didn't kind of do that sort of direct engagement. And as the vote, the candidates were dropped out who were in last place and the ballots were moved to, 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 to next choices, she was, she was narrowing the margin. And then when the candidate third dropped out, she, she jumped ahead and ultimately won by four points. It was controversial at the time because people were still getting used to this idea that a candidate could win the instant runoff while losing, while, while not leading in first choices. But it really made sense on the ground just because of the way that they ran. And it really became an understanding of how to, you know, Oakland politicians and political consultants learned a lot. Like you have to run that kind of way. Um, overall in the Bay Area, there's over 50 seats that are elected with ranked choice voting. Um, the number of people of color who uh, get elected to those seats has gone from about 40% of them back 15 years ago or so to now 60%. So it's been a jump from, from two out of five to three out of five. Um, women have had a big jump in uh, uh, success as well. And I think that the idea that all of these um, votes now take place in November when the turnout is higher, it's one round, it, it encourages candidates that are able to kind of have a base of support, but uh, reach out to others. And that just seemingly has been good for representing diversity um, on, on those uh, city councils and, and mayor, mayor seats. Yeah, you've kind of, already anticipated my next question a little bit, which is that when we started out, we were talking a lot in terms of how voters can interact with an RCV system. Um, but then now kind of on the flip side, if you're working for a campaign, um, have you maybe even, because you've given us the, the anecdotal example of how it went in Oakland, how does it impact campaigns in general in terms of strategy? And also is like, what is there any data on how that changes kind of the landscape of a political campaign. Yeah, it's fascinating. There is a growing amount of data. Um, there was a pretty big project in 2013, 2014, where a group of political scientists studied seven elections with ranked choice voting and like 14 comparable cities that didn't have it. And they found that um, voters were experiencing elections with more engagement from the candidates. So there was more kind of, they, they heard from more candidates and at least it wasn't a, a overnight change, but there was a higher, a perception of greater civility among the candidates. Um, and um, both of those make sense, right? Because now you don't just want to get first choices. You need to find your connection to be second and third. Um, and let's say you're particularly close to another candidate in a lot of views, like you have, uh, you know, and, and, and a lot of the same supporters like you and this other candidate. In a single choice system, that's a pretty competitive situation where you might have to be pretty sharply distinguishing and, and, and might be tempted to go negative, right? To, to be the one that gets those votes. Um, in a ranked choice system, you want to get more votes than that person, but you also want to be those people's second choices. So you actually have seen formal coalitions, like candidates actually endorsing each other. Uh, that happened in the San Francisco's mayor's race in 2018, um, where uh, Jane Kim, who's an Asian American candidate, uh, uh, and, and she finished third and the candidate in second, 
both kind of formally endorsed each other. But what you more often see is just greater attention and attentiveness to you know, the backers of other candidates. And I think what we also are seeing is that voters are um, not as simple to identify and to sort of uh, treat as a block. You have to treat individual voters as individuals. And why they like someone as a first choice doesn't necessarily mean they all think the same way. So you, 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 are, you are starting to look for connections and you basically don't give up on voters. So there was like a Minneapolis election for mayor, open seat race, a lot of candidates running. And the woman who, who won, and she actually won big, but it was an upset win also. She also was outspent. But um, uh, she was seen as, as of the front runners, probably the most politically progressive candidate. But when the Republican uh, backed candidate dropped out, she did better at getting his backup choices than sort of the more moderate candidate. But partly that's because her campaign had, had looked for connections, right? And, and, and found reasons to, to uh, support. It wasn't overwhelmingly going her way, but it was surprising to a lot of people. And that sort of shows a certain, you know, way that, that voters are thinking like, so maybe they thought a lot about parks, like that's a big issue in Minneapolis or, or you know, policing or, or whatever it might be. And, and you're, you're, you're finding a connection. And, 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 and so that kind of conversation with, with voters and an attempt to go beyond sim simple 30 second sound bites, I think mm -hmm. it's, uh, it's definitely incentivized with my choice voting. Yeah, okay, so I'm gonna ask you to give us one more hypothetical example using like candidates that people are mostly probably familiar with, which is I'm curious if you've thought about how the 2020 Democratic presidential primary might have gone differently with ranked choice voting, just kind of like as an example thought experiment. Well, it's interesting because, you know, five of those contests did have ranked choice voting, but by the time the, one of those was Nevada, which was the, the caucus state that happened third, right? There was Iowa, then mm -hmm. there was New Hampshire, and then there was Nevada. And interesting, those those caucus states, they're, they're quirky, right? Like the people are gathered in person and like Iowa, you know, you're, you're physically moving around the room. And that's actually like ranked choice voting, right? You're moving to your backup choice if your first choice can't can't succeed. And in some ways, you could sort of see some of the a little mirror into like at least uh, uh, some, you know, candidates that did well in Iowa were ones who were sort of doing better in that process. Then they had New Hampshire, and then they had Nevada, where about seventy percent of voters cast ranked choice ballots early. So rank, you know, just regular ranked choice ballots. And then they were folded in with the in-person vote in kind, of, in kind of interesting. So it's hard to tease out the information, um, but um, you know, there were, there were candidates there like Sanders won Nevada and Buttigieg won Iowa barely, um, you know, and, and, and it's hard to sort of know for sure uh, what going down to two might've meant. By the time four other states used ranked choice voting, essentially it was a Biden-Sanders contest. Mm -hmm. And most of those, it was, effectively over by that time. What we do know is, is that um, first, people liked ranked choice voting or they used it. So that in those states where we had data, 90% of people who backed a candidate that was below the threshold to win delegates, so they needed a backup choice, actually ranked Biden and or Sanders second or third, right? So they had their vote, their vote count. So that was 90%. If you think about that nationally, there were 3 million votes cast for withdrawn candidates by the time they were counted. 
So if we'd had ranked choice voting in all states, we would have probably had more than two and a half million more votes sort of counting toward delegates. Mm. Um, and I think that if, if we'd had it the whole time and if everyone had known that we were gonna have it the whole time, I think, um, you know, it, it just would have, um, I think addressed this question of how, 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 do, we, how do we figure out how to get a, the, the best nominee? And it's sort of like a crowdsourcing tool. It's like allowing all of us to be part of that decision. I think ultimately what happened was there was somewhat of an inside play to figure out who was the most viable nominee, right? You sort of had like, we, we have to get this over and let's have it be Joe, right? And, 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 you know, and now he's president, so something worked out well for Democrats. But at the same time, it felt a little more insider, a little more of a kind of a, a steering of the result. And I think ranked choice voting would have allowed us to get to that answer in a more inclusive way where I think more, more voters could have been part of it. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, Robert, I have been involved in the San Francisco mayor's uh, uh, London Braze campaign and also involved with Jim Kwan's too. I remember it's uh, one time it's, uh, uh, I drive back uh, from uh, Oakland back to Cupertino and uh, I found uh, Jim Kwan's wallet in, in my car. <laughs> and then I called her to, at the midnight. I said, King Kwong, you lost your wallet in my car. And I drive <laughs> back. She's still working. And uh, the conversation is, she told me that I didn't plan to win. I just want to, everyone pick me as a second choice. Because you know that the competition the, for the Asian community, nobody expected Jing Kwong to win. We just want to get to participate in that, the, in that process, but turn out the result is a very surprise to us. I just think that from your experience for the Asian community, the population of voters generally, they don't get involved in the political system and the process. So uh, for the Asian community, they can either it's a ballot voting or it's a, they do the coalition like uh, the Jin Kim in the, uh, San Francisco. What's your particular advice to Asian community to take advantage of our rank choice voting system? Yeah. Well, I think one, it's to embrace ranking, right? So, and the candidates need to encourage people to rank. And in a very basic fact, if you're a voter, is that ranking someone second has no impact on your first choice, right? Your first choice will either win or be eliminated and then your ballot goes to your second choice, right? So, so, so there's no way that ranking someone second hurts your first choice. So there's every reason to rank. Uh, let me give a very specific example from one San Francisco race, which was um, for their board of supervisors, their city council back in 2006, but it was a, a heavily Asian American uh, district. And, um, but the plurality first choice candidate was non-Asian American. Um, and the next, uh, I think four candidates, were Asian American, I think probably Chinese American. And, um, and then one of them won with ranked choice voting. We were actually able to look at that data and, and, and we, we played around with it. And, and, and each time it, it would get down to the non-Asian candidate and, and, and an Asian candidate. But if you took out the winning Asian candidate and said, okay, what if that candidate hadn't run, what would have happened? Then the next strongest Asian American candidate would have won. If you take out both of those candidates, then the third strongest Asian American candidate would have won because enough Asian American voters ranked through their ballots. So that's an important part of just as a voter is to use your rankings. 
Um, I think it is to not discourage people from, from running. Um, the first use of it in New York City uh, this month, uh, there was a special election in Queens and there were uh, uh, six South Asian candidates, five, I think Bangladeshi or four or some like relatively high number. Um, ultimately the candidate who won was a non-Asian candidate who won a majority on the first round, but there was no conversation about like, oh, you shouldn't run. Like, drop out, you're splitting the vote or something like that, right? So welcome people in and, you know, think about the ways that you're uh, connected. And, and I think the Asian American community overall is, 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 is entering American politics. Obviously a lot of Asian Americans have been quite successful already, but it's sort of like more voters are finding their voice, their communities are finding their interests and, and ranked voting allows like political expression of, of, of that interest with a knowledge that other candidates have a real reason now to learn about it. And, and, and that's, you know, uh, I think the uh, general message is like, run, you know, and then rank, <laughs> and then, then, and then, and your, your voice will be heard. Yeah. As someone who's knowledgeable, knowledgeable about RCV, I wanted to key in on a topic that we talk about a lot on the show, um, which is the upcoming NYC mayoral race, which will be this summer. Um, and as you know, Don works for Andrew Yang's campaign. So we were curious to get your advice for Andrew Yang as he's kind of like strategizing and beginning this run. Yeah, well, I think um, that, you know, there's an early poll or two that shows he's a very strong candidate. So you want to be a strong candidate rather than, I mean, hey, I want people to run even if they, they don't, they're not sure they can win, but uh, they, their voice is important to, to be heard. But I think he is definitely in the viable group. Um, and one message, you know, is for all the candidates is you've got to do two things to win, right? You've got to have first choices. You've got to stand for something in a way that people want you to be the mayor, right? You, 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 you have to earn that and it's a competitive field and you've got to have some people that say you're, you're my person. Cause otherwise you can't, you can't win by being everyone's second choice. You have to have some people winning you as a first choice, a lot of people, but you won't be able to win with first choices alone either. So then you have to be looking for those connections. And I would say, don't um, assume that because a candidate that may drop out might seem different than you on a lot of issues, it doesn't mean that the voter supporting that candidate might not find a connection to you, right? So that it's, 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 it's really keeping everyone in play and, and, you know, ultimately the mayor of New York has a very fascinating complex city to be mayor of. And this is a chance to really learn about that city. Like you gotta go to all the boroughs, you've gotta find out what different groups think and you've gotta, you know, for endorsing groups, you have to be happy if you're a third choice, you'd rather be their first choice, but don't give up and, and, and seek to be a third choice. And, you know, really um, ultimately expect that you're going to be ranked first, second, or third. Like the winning candidate will probably be ranked first, second, or third by, you know, 60% of people or, you know, a relatively high number. And to achieve that, you need to really be making a lot of connections with people. Yeah, uh, Robert, I, I saw the, the polling. Uh, Andrew is consistent on the top of the polling and uh, he's always a front runner. But I just wondering the uh, New Yorkers, they kind of, uh, concern about the front runner and Andrew uh, particularly. 
it's the for his like political or city management experience. But uh, when we apply the ranked choice voting strategy into that one, the how we overcome the weakness of uh, liking the experience like uh, all other candidates, they probably involved in the New York local politics for, for their lifetime. What's kind of a, a strategy or message we design during the campaign can be best utilized for this particular yeah. voting system? Well, I mean, it's a good question. Obviously, the campaign will have to grapple with 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 how um, you know how much that matters to voters, and then yeah. find like experience that kind of shows readiness for it. Um, I mean, I think Andrew over the last three or four years has surprised a lot of people by what he's been able to achieve as a candidate. And so um, anyone who thinks he can be knocked off his game easily probably doesn't know <laughs> that. <laughs> so they, so uh, it, but but it is going to be, you know, needing to, um, you know, that's that that's going to be an area that does matter to people. I mean, the, it, it's a big city. It's a big job. And, and uh, you know, but it's not the first time that someone's come into the job who wasn't a career politician, you know, Bloomberg was not a career politician, yeah. and, uh, so on. So, you know, there's, there's, there, that's a message that the campaign will uh, need to, um, you know, to find. And, and, you know, what'll be interesting is there will be career politicians. If, if Andrew makes it into the final two, there will be career politicians who will lose during the course of the count. And um, if those voters are saying, I want my second choice to be also someone who, with lots of experience in, you know, office here in New York. Um, then that's not good for him, right? So he he's going to need to find a way to connect with those voters. And and I think the, the the basic message that often seems to work for for candidates is to to you know have a vision of where the city can go and be and have a vision of someone who is 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 about bringing into that vision and listening, and uh, you know, showing a capacity to learn and act and you know be a be a leader ultimately we we may have covered this to death but before we like close up i do want to ask also uh like what's your piece of advice to voters who are maybe like using rcv for the first time to vote well i think it is uh an interesting thing, like so. So, if you're used to a single choice system, sometimes you like settle on your first choice, and then you kind of like just become a cheerleader for that candidate, and sort of against everyone else. Right? Sort of like, and then you start like going on social media and bad, you know, whatever. And and you have to start realizing, oh, well, my first choice might not win. Like, let's say people supporting Andrew Yang, they have to accept the fact he might not win, and then his supporters have to have a second choice too, right? So it's so it's so it's so it's beginning to think. Of who is who is the best of the rest, and 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 uh, learning more about candidates, and uh, just sort of keeping an open mind, um, and we hope ultimately becoming a voter that just learns more as well, right? I'll, I'll say when Santa Fe, uh, which New Mexico first used ranked choice voting for mayor in 2018, had a big jump in turnout. We've we've seen uh, particularly the last three or four years, as I think the know-how of how to run ranked choice voting is sort of getting out there. We're seeing really positive impact on, on voter turnout. Um, but anyway, another impact there was open seat race for mayor, five candidates, um, almost two thirds of people ranked all five candidates and they had more debates than they'd ever seen before, some version of 20 or so. 
And people said that those were debates were much better attended than had ever been before. And that a lot of it was people saying, okay, I, I think I know who my first choice is, but I need to learn more about these other people, right? To get my second choice and so on, right? So, so it is an opportunity to, to, to learn more and, and uh, just go a little deeper. And, you know, this is what democracy, we want it all to be about, right? Is, 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 is we are giving these leaders a chance to do things, but ideally they're doing it based on the consent of the governed and, 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 and our power being expressed. And I think we, uh, this is a chance for us to kind of do it really well. That's awesome. Thanks so much. Um, before we close, I do want to ask one last thing, which is when we're not talking about politics on this show, we're talking about books. Um, <laughs> so I like to ask our guests if they have a favorite book they want to plug or recommend to our audience. Oh, well, that's, <laughs> I should have been prepped for that one. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's interesting, I, you know, there's all these good, good books about politics and democracy, but that's, you know, maybe that's, that's, that's cheating. But let, let me just go ahead and give one like that. So there's a book called The Doom Loop, which is by Lee Drutman, came out last year. And Lee uh, is someone I know well, but he makes a case that we, you know, that it's the fundamentals of our electoral system, winner take all, single member districts, single choice system, that are, are creating incentives that are like a doom loop, right? Everything kind of each year, we seem to be getting into a cycle where things seem to be descending rather than ascending. And it's actually rooted in a rules that we can change. And ranked choice voting is part of that, going to a proportional voting system instead of uh, uh, a winner take all system is part of that. And he really makes kind of he grounds that case in history. And uh, at least for people that like political books, I think that's a really strong one. That sounds interesting. And it's got like a nice grabby title too. The Doom yeah. Loop, you said? <laughs> the Doom Loop. Yeah, the happy story of American democracy. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, we'll wrap it's it up ending, there. Right, so we're, so we're going to get to a happy ending for it. Yeah. We'll yeah. wrap it up there for this week. Um, Rob, thank you so much for joining us. It was a lot of fun to have you. Great. Well, thank you, Kitty and Don. And uh, good luck with this program. And way to go, New York. We're, we're really excited about what happens with Rangers voting this year. Thank you, Robert. Well, thanks for talking with me as usual, Don. My name, of course, is Katie Simpson. Our podcast is sponsored by Asian American Forward. You can visit our website at www.asianamericanforward.com. If you enjoyed the show this week or have a topic you'd like to hear us discuss on a future episode, send us your comments at info at asianamericanforward.com. We'd love to hear from you. You can also find us on Facebook and hear more conversations between Don and I at our YouTube channel. If you're a fan of the show, leave us a review in the Apple Podcast Store or tell someone about us. Thanks for joining us, and we'll talk to you again next week.